You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Third time's a charm. There we go. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Locked On Indians. I am your host, Jeff Ellis. Today's show is brought to you by Bill Bar. Uh, today, I had three Bilt Bars, two for lunch, one, two for breakfast, one for lunch. Go check it out for yourself, BiltBar.com. Uh, third time's a charm because I first started up the podcast and I had the microphone on mute and then the volume still wasn't working and I realized for some reason for the first time in a month it had changed the input to the computer speaker. So we are back on the Yeti microphone as always. I hear the sound is sounding better. Doug Branson uh, is our sound guy, so I owe it all to him. We had a great hour sit down. Let's start with some history. On this day in tribe history, uh, Troy Percival signs a two-year, $12 million deal with the Tigers, surprising everyone, including his agent, uh, is the comment here over at nationalpastime.com. He still had meetings with the Indians and the Cubs later this week. Uh, Can we say thank you to the Tigers? 2005 Troy Percival not good and here's the thing like you can look back and look at his 2003 and 2004 seasons like he was not all that strong those years 2004 in particular yeah he did 2-9 ERA but uh, his FIP was a 4-8-8 you're looking at six strikeouts per nine 1.3 home runs per nine 3.4 work walks per nine like it's crazy to think back 2004 is 16 years ago yes I am graduating college that year from my own personal timeline, but that baseball's advanced so much that we could look back and not realize that this is a ticking time bomb waiting to explode, that, you know, his strikeout rate since 2002 is now down in the single digits. This is not the Troy Percival of old. $6 million is a significant amount then, and uh, doesn't even pitch in 2006 in the majors. Has a nice rebound year at age 37 in 2007. But after that, it's not very good for him as he ends a career. Yeah, uh, thank you, Detroit Tigers. That saved the Indians some money uh, if he had gone and the Indians had tried to sign Percival. Ooh, that's one of those good things. I think it is really interesting. Uh, I sent out a tweet today. There's been a whole bunch of articles. Basically, baseball has been short on news outside of the Kim... I don't want to butcher her last name, NG. I should do the research and see how it's pronounced. Being a great hire by the Marlins, fantastic, overqualified. I think hiring women in some regards could be a market inefficiency because it's just not happening in sports in general. And, I mean, there's a lot of intelligent women who love sports, and I'm sure many of them could do the job better than some people are currently doing it. So I think that's a great hire. That's my my quick take on that. And then we had that uh, Theo Epstein is walking away. I mean, after winning championships for the Cubs and the Red Sox, I mean, his Hall of Fame is set. Uh, Of course, he is leaving a Cubs team that uh, drafted extremely poorly under his last few years of his run, a minor league system that's pretty barren, and a team that's got, what, five guys a year from uh, free agency. I mean, yeah, they could get a lot of comp picks, but at the same time, because of where their money is, they're not going to get good comp picks. They changed the comp system a year ago, so they're going to get, what, five second-rounders at the end of next year? Well, it's an ugly position. That is not a favorable job. It is not a job that uh, anyone's going to want to jump into. Like, if you have a choice between the 
Mets and the Cubs, you're, you're going to the Mets. That's without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, Philly might be the only team that could conceivably can be considered a worse job at this point in time. So yeah, that's uh, he is picking the right time to get out of town. Let's put it that way. Uh, Drew Smiley signed, but because of the other than that stuff, it being a relatively dull time. MLB.com had an article on trade possibilities for Lindor. Uh, the Athletic had one, and ESPN had one today. I thought they're all kind of weird, uh, to be honest. Like the MLB one. What stood out to me, uh, I was talking with Lucas Smith over on Locked On Cardinals. He's like, what about this Cardinals deal? I'm like, it feels light. And he's like, no, I agree. I thought it was light as well. How could you balance it? And I'm like, I don't know. Like Harrison Bader makes a lot of sense just because he can be close to league average and his he's a top five defender. But, you know, Tommy Edmond took a step back. Who else are you going to put in there who could really step into the Indians and help right away? Paul DeJong, is he... With the Indians looking to cut salary, I think, you know, for a guy who's closer to league average uh, defensively, he's really regressed since his rookie year and his offense has regressed. I don't think the Indians would be that interested in Paul DeJong and his contract and his owed money. Like I saw on the ESPN article today talking about very team-friendly contract. I I don't know if it is. I don't know if that is a team-friendly contract. If he is like a 1.5 to 2 win player and you're paying him like 6 to 8 to 9 million, that's not a good, that's not team-friendly. That's a contract the Indians would look to avoid because uh, they only want to pay guys who are going to earn, you know, 3.54 wins or more. So I don't think that that makes as much sense as uh, some other places are making it. But that MLB one in particular, as, go- as I was going through it, it's crazy to me because they have all of these trades and then the Mets trade is off the wall. Like they're having the Mets give up five times as much value as any other team in that piece. Like there's a lot of deals I go through and I, like again, the Cardinals deal I thought was light. Most of the deals I thought were kind of light. Then you get to the Mets trade and honestly, it's like they have uh, Steve McNeil, the, uh, the outfielder slash second baseman. It's like, yeah, he has more value than Lindor right now altogether. Like that's, he is more valuable one-on-one plus uh, including him and as the shortstop. Uh, and if you remember my conversation with Ryan uh, over on Lockdown Mets, that like that's you know that he's a very valuable asset and if the Indians were to push for Dom Smith uh, you wouldn't get him because of how valuable Jimenez is and how much better he is than Rosario and just the idea of like those guys plus prospects and then the overall statement and the piece being like well the problem is the Mets and in ESPN they said as well the Mets don't have high-end prospects and that makes a deal hard I'm like wait what like Ronnie Mauricio is going to be a top 40 prospect next year top 30 prospect likely to start the year uh they have one high-end prospect and even if they're not going to move him they have bats like the indians aren't trading francisco lindor and calling it a season that's just not happening uh they still have jose ramirez when you look at the trades they made last year with the clevenger trade like another i sent out a tweet today like because of all these trade pieces and every trade piece is like well the indians need a shortstop back i'm like are we 100 percent sure they do I talked about Jose Iglesias is a great target for that. I stand by that statement. But the Indians, when they traded Clevenger, got a potential stopgap in Owen Miller. Like, he has played shortstop in college. May not be his best position, but, I mean, reports from a lot of people are that he's, like, a utility guy, that this could be something that he is, you know, able to handle that position for a bit. I'm not saying that he's going to be your shortstop for an entire season. I am not saying that he is you know, the end-all be-all when it comes to shortstops, but could he be a stopgap? Could he be a Jason Donald, a Lou Marson, a Jose Ramirez? If you remember, he was a stopgap at a point in time. 
Absolutely. I think that that is very much something that Owen Miller could be. So could you Chen Chang? Like they have guys who could be a stopgap at that position long term and they, they don't need a shortstop. Would an upgrade be great? Yeah. But I I don't think it, you go into any deal with Francisco Lindor and limit yourself saying, well, we need a shortstop back. Yes, in many trades, I look at ways to get a shortstop back because that would be valuable. But I don't want to eliminate a trade. Like if the Mets are willing to trade me, J.D. Davis, Dom Smith, uh, and Brandon Nimmo, now that's not going to happen. But if they're willing to trade all three of those guys, I want those three. I don't want J.D. Davis, Dom Smith, and Ahmad Rosario just because he's a shortstop. I want the best three players possible. I don't I don't care about the uh, position as much. Um, so just jumping over uh, to MLB.com, giving their quick report on, on uh, Owen Miller, they, because uh, MLB just compiles data. Like they get, I mean, I, John and Jim are two of the nicest guys in the business. I've only run into them like a handful of times. They've always been extremely kind. Jim Callis, John Mayo, very, very kind, but they're also very plugged in and they listen to lots of places and sources. When you're two people, it's impossible to see everyone, but they do a fantastic job. And, you know, the quick scouting report, reliable hands and enough range to remain at shortstop. Fringy arm, probably better for second. And that's kind of across the board. That's what I heard was like, he has the instincts for short. And, you know, he's a smart player. He's a scrapper, which would probably endear him to Tito, honestly. Uh, you know, he, he could be a plus uh, Mike Freeman. But overall, uh, you know, Mark Loretta is the comp in the the piece here. But yeah, you know, he, he played some third base in the minors as well. He's probably best for second, but stopgap. Yes, that's what a stopgap is. And he could totally be that. He could fill into that role for the Indians. Uh, and when they traded Clevenger, you know, as my statement on Twitter was plain simply, it's like, okay, so they got a stopgap in Miller, who I think could play next year and is not someone they're going to be precious about service time with. And then Gabriel Arias is the shortstop of the future. Like, I think the Indians honestly believe that. Before we get into, like, Ty Freeman and anything like that, it's like, well, I think Freeman, they just feel a little more comfortable with at second. Arias is clearly the better defender. Like, I mean, that was one of the big things when it came to him. One of the big points in his advantage was, like, that he was a potential plus-plus defender. This is, like, a 60, maybe 70-grade defender at short in the future. And, again, just go look... I know California League stats are all over the place, but as a 19-year-old in high A, 302, 339, 470, 809, yes, a lot of swing and miss, and you worry about that imbalance of walk to strikeout, but I also talked to a lot of people who talked about his complete change in approach uh, over the that season, how he got better, and then just some of the things that came out this year, uh, some of the approaches and things he has done just to help get better. Where's the exact quote? Here's the one from uh, at WillWho99. Will is always very locked in. That uh, he's And he's made adjustments using VR. So he's been using VR to try to get better at the game, which is interesting. We haven't had the opportunity to see him. Uh, but, I mean, I agree. Like, that he's probably going to be like a 240 hitter. But there's 25, 30 home run potential there with plus defense. That's an easy starter at shortstop. So we'll see. I do think... There's a huge amount of risk, a huge amount of risk. But I think that they go out and make that trade thinking this is a chance to be their shortstop of the future. And guess what? If it doesn't work, um, Freeman could play. 
out there. You've got Rocoyo, you've got Jose Tenia, you've got Angel Martinez. You've just got guys and guys and guys, and they have their waves. And we'll see who's next, but that is part of the advantage the Cleveland Indians currently have at that position. As I talked about at the top of things, today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. Today I had a coconut, a cookies and cream, and a strawberry bar. If I am ranking those three, I would say cookies and cream one, coconut two, strawberry three. My thing with coconut, uh, just to be perfectly honest, is I've also done their Built Bar Go, which I have enjoyed, as well as the Built Bar bars. And when you go to BuiltBar.com, use that promo code LOCKEDON and get 20% off. They don't mess around with their coconut. So uh, if you're like me and you love coconut, it's great. If you are not a coconut fan, I cannot recommend that bar, but it is a great natural tasting coconut product. Uh, And since I love coconut, I I quite enjoyed it. But cookies and cream, who doesn't love that flavor? Strawberry is is a solid one. Uh, I think I preferred their recent pumpkin one, but I always like to see what the new flavors are. Give those a whirl, try them out. Candy apple, which was a, a special that they gave away when you made a purchase recently was solid but uh, as always just go with that mixed box you can't go wrong so many great flavors in there uh you're always going to find something new i think by and large their best flavors are the ones that are chocolate based so go to builtbar.com get things that are heavy in chocolate do yourself a favor builtbar.com promo code locked on okay so and there's the okay so you know we're back from break uh it is interesting to me how many people are still negative online about everything uh, with the Indians. It's like the never-ending stream, and I get it. It stinks. Lindor is gone. He was this uh, high-level talent who'd been with, uh, came up with the Indians, first-round pick, potential Hall of Famer. It's hard not to be upset. Like, I totally understand why people are mad. But at the same time, to call their trades into question uh, is just silly. A lot of people, you know, I had someone getting mad because uh, the Indians got uh, a drug-addicted re- reliever who didn't help them at all in uh, in 2020 when they traded a two-time Cy Younger and Corey Kluber. Well, I'm like, well, <laughs> you're only looking at one side of this. Um, a, it was steroids, uh, which is not great, but still, let's, let's before we label anyone, I want to make it perfectly clear that was not me, that was this person on Twitter. And to Corey Kluber... There was talk that and people arguing his option shouldn't be picked up. He was that's where his value was. His value was not super high. Uh and he pitched what? A few innings? Was it even a full inning with the Rangers who declined his option? For a full inning, the Indians got um got Emmanuel Classe, who's probably going to slot in and be one of their top two relievers for the next five years with James Karinchok. Like that's very valuable. We have seen, look what the Indians paid for Andrew Miller. I'm not saying he's going to be Andrew Miller level great, but at the same time, Andrew Miller level great was really only a season and a half. You know, he, it started to come undone for him uh, not long after that. And you look at Cody Allen and some of those guys, you want to get these relievers young. You want to get those peak years. And that's what they have with class A. That is what they have with Karen Chalk. Uh, looking at that view of Cooper, the value isn't there or to get mad about, Oh, they got mid-level prospects from the Padres. I'm like, Padres have an incredibly deep and interesting system. Uh, don't always look at prospect ranks. Because you know what? Shane Bieber was never a top 100 prospect. Aaron Savali was never a top 100 prospect. Zach Plesak was never a top 100. I don't even think Zach Plesak was a top 10 prospect in anyone's listing but my own. Uh, and that's just the way this works. It's it. When you start looking at these lists, it's a lot of groupthink. No matter what anyone says... 
people get curious. We look at what everyone else says. We're like, oh, they have him here, and there are people that are very different in their list. I always give credit to Keith Law. His list tends to be very different than other people's. He takes big risks. He takes swings, and I appreciate that. But you see a lot of common ground, and sometimes it's because it's you know a, a player is that obviously talented. But the other side of things is honestly, you know, we we all see things. We all think, oh yeah, of course. And, you know, and that's how Andrew Benintendi, that's how Ahmad Rosario, that's how some of these guys we talked about recently on the show who were these can't miss prospects missed is we're kind of looking and projecting. Uh, and sometimes you can look and project. I mean, Francisco Lindor never did in the minors what he did in the majors. Jose Ramirez never did in the minors what he's done in the majors. It's an inexact science. And when I look at what the Indians did, uh, you know, they rolled a dice on a high ceiling guy and they got six pieces for Mike Clevenger. And I talked about that trade yesterday. If they tried to trade Clevenger right now to the Padres, you're not getting Gabriel Arias. You can probably still get Josh Naylor because they've got a 40-man crunch. Uh, maybe you can still get Gabriel Arias because of the 40-man crunch, but I doubt it. Uh, you might have to include a better piece along with Clevenger. I think likely you're probably looking at Quantrell and Naylor, and that's it. You're not looking at Cantillo. Uh, you're not looking at Miller because those two guys they don't have to add to the 40-man. And you're probably not looking at Gabriel Arias. They probably use him in another deal. So th- the trade they made at the right call at the right time. And uh, again, we'll look back in a few years. We'll see if I'm right or if I'm wrong uh, in my evaluation of Arias and Cantillo. I think Cantillo is almost, you know, no one is, is can't miss. I think he's a very safe pitching prospect. Pitching prospects, anything can happen. Arias, I admit, is a huge risk. But we'll see what the Indians can do. And they've been very good with up the middle and infield talent. It's the outfielders that they just can't develop to save their life. We will cover them a bit more later this week. I want to give myself some time to really dig into and discuss the Blue Jays. Here's the thing I'll say about the Toronto Blue Jays. Mark Shapiro is still the last call on everything. And when I talked about how the Blue Jays made a lot of sense for the Clevenger deal, it was pointed out to me during his time in Cleveland, Shapiro blocked Uh, maybe blocked isn't the right word, because he was very hesitant to make that big move. You know, something like the Andrew Miller deal, uh, that's something that always he was hesitant to pull the trigger on. He did not like to trade his prospects. He did not like to trade his top-end guys. And, you know, I don't think it's uh, a coincidence that the year Shapiro leaves, you know, 2015, next season's 2016, and that is when the Indians make that trade for Miller. They trade their top-end prospects. I don't think Toronto is going, yes, they can talk a big game right now, but I don't think they are willing to trade their prospects. Um, I'll get into what I think a trade would look like and two possible trades that could happen. But my caveat for today before we go into any of that is I don't think Mark Shapiro is willing to make a trade at a cost to acquire a player like Francisco Lindor. I do not think the Blue Jays are really strong candidate. I do not think uh, they are likely to do it. I think they're going to do what they did last year. They're going to lay in wait. They're going to wait till January, and it's going to be like when, again, Shapiro is with the Indians. What were some of the biggest moves? Signing Bourne, signing Swisher, waiting until the market had calmed, and there was this chance to sign talented players. Yes, those two didn't work out, but I still have no problems with the approach. It was a smart approach. It was a good approach. It just didn't come together that time. But for uh, Toronto, it worked out for them. You know, they added um, Ryu, who finished top three for the Cy Young. It worked out very well for them. And in a year where teams are a little bit more afraid to spend, 
there's not going to be as many teams on the market, they have a chance to really clean up in January. And I think that is where we will see them at the talent that they have talked about. And then, yes, ESPN has claimed the Reds are the best fit for a trade with Lindor. I still don't see that. The whole piece being like, well, they have a ton of outfielders. And it's, can we just talk about the fact that the Reds outfit? It's like, if you're listing Arrestus Aquino, that's not that interesting. Nick Sensel's values way down. Um, all the, you know, having a lot doesn't make them good. You know, Nick Senzel uh, in 78 plate appearances, which is limited, hit 186. So that's, again, after major surgery, which also could be a plus or minus, but did not play particularly well as a rookie. Restus Aquino uh, came back to earth hard, which we all knew would happen. I get that a lot of players opted in. Is Jose Garcia really, like, <laughs> listed Jose Garcia is a near-ready shortstop. Like, is Jose Garcia good? Like, is he really that good of a shortstop? Is he someone that you feel uh, is significantly better than Gabriel Arias or Tyler Freeman in upside? I get he did play in the majors this year, but I did not. I I like a lot of things Brandon Doolittle does. I got asked about that particular piece. I didn't, it didn't make a ton of sense to me. So I'll just put that nicely there. And with the MLB piece again, I think, I mean, I would not be surprised if Lindor ends up netting less than we thought like honestly at the end of the day uh Clevenger netted less than I thought but the big thing whenever we talk about less than we think they should get is the Indians evaluation the way the Indians judge and I just will keep saying this because it's true they look at things differently than everyone else they have a much different board they have a much different look and it's a reason they took class a even though they could have had some interesting outfield prospects from what I was told. It's the reason they took that Clevenger deal where they got six players that they really liked over, you know, they could have had Taylor Trammell. Like, from what I understood, he would have been in play. That Clevenger deal was a priority before the NOLA deal, um, but it became obvious the Indians didn't want him. And yes, Trammell was the biggest prospect trade at the deadline this year and last year, but he was not their guy. And they could have had him both deadlines. And that's what it comes down to. So don't judge... I mean, we, I'm going to judge the deal in the moment because that's what I'm paid to do with this podcast. But understand that everything that happens with the Cleveland Indians and why they have been successful is a small organization who has very limited funds compared to other teams uh, is that they have their own approach. They have an approach that has been successful and understanding how that works. I have been Jeff Ellis. This has been the Lockdown Indians podcast. Uh, join me for the rest of the week. We'll talk about the Blue Jays uh, finishing off the uh, East. We'll talk some Central as well. Um, I mean, there is a weird way where Francisco Lindor to the Tigers makes sense, so we'll get into things like that. But uh, as always, go Tribe!